0: Hi, I'm Andalisi. In this episode of Essential Cooking, my co-host Chef James Regato and I sit down with two of his closest friends who also happen to be chefs. Anthony Lombardo, executive chef of She-Wolf in Detroit and John Vermiglio, executive chef of Grey Ghost, also in Detroit. It was a spirited conversation that started by talking about the names of their restaurants. So I thought I would start with a question that people ask me, because I know you guys, and they'll say, how did they get the name of that restaurant? Why did they name their restaurant that name? So, Anthony, we're going to start with you. How did She-Wolf get its name?
1: So She-Wolf is Roman and is based on the story of the She-Wolf, Romulus and Remus. It's the story, it's Roman mythology, by the way, and it's the story of the founding of Rome. Two young twins. Who's uh Romulus and Remus and uh, they were abandoned by their parents their father was a king their father was losing power and another and his brother was taking uh, taking control and so they put him in a basket float him down a river in order to save their lives they were found on the banks of the Tiber by a she-wolf a la lupa in Italian La lupa took the children you know took their little infants they suckled on the wolf <laughs> until they became you know, till so they so grew up into teenagers, the story, and then, as they grew, that wolf was their, you know, mother, and they were raised by a she-wolf, and then they went on to found Rome. They battled to the death. Romulus killed Remus and named Rome after himself. Obviously,
2: so you're mythology. <laughs> yeah. Now, now I know, I know where Anne's going with this because. Anthony and I were driving to New York to do a dinner a few years ago, and he was telling me some restaurant names he had. One of them was the address I think you mentioned. Like, oh, I'm thinking about... It was like a whatever your address is. What, it, no, no. It
0: was
1: 1861 or something, which yeah. was like the founding... Of, it's the year that Italy was united. There we go. And it's also the the year detroit was founded or something like that
2: so he might and i'm like oh, that's pretty cool you know i like that there's a lot of restaurants that have numbers in their name and then i'm like well what's the other one and he's like well, oh, you know she wolf i was like she wolf that's the best restaurant i've ever heard in my life and i of course thought of the megadeth song and then he obviously tells me about the you know the, most people
1: the- related to the shakira song yeah
2: exactly that's the other the other song but yeah i mean when he said she i was just like i mean i feel like I almost like you know like lost control of the car i was like that's, a, that's the greatest restaurant i've ever heard and, so maybe, maybe my enthusiasm, you know, helped him make that decision, but I don't think it would be the same if it was
1: called the Basically, true? James Rogato named you. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yes, Isn't it, it true that it when ground. he was, before it got announced or something, didn't you put it out there?
2: Well, we, no, he did a takeover at Mabel. Oh, so, and then So that's we what did it a was. takeover. At, yeah, he did a week long kind of preview dinner, took over the restaurant. I was out of town. He was passing out swag. He did it right. Anthony was like doing some like, you know, guerrilla restaurant marketing and, uh. <laughs> There's a good buzz. I mean, that's you know, nowadays you gotta stand out. I mean, he came in town and and definitely stood out. So so big ups to Anthony and that hustle.
0: So John um Vermilio from yeah, uh Grey Ghost, how did Grey Ghost get its name?
3: Uh all right, so we were seeking um a historically relevant uh to the city of Detroit uh, that had a little bit of uh history to it, but also was still cool sounding, I guess, for lack of any better way to say it. <laughs> Uh, so a lot of research, did a lot of uh, homework at the library up the street, and uh, we came across the gray ghost uh, who was it's the nickname of the most notorious pirate on the Detroit River during prohibition. So he's known for uh, his allegiance with the purple gang, who also oh, yeah. actually contributed to his demise. Uh, but he ran rum across the uh, Detroit River and wore a gray coat, gray hat, gray boat, the gray ghost. Yeah. So first day we were open, actually, somebody called from the Detroit Yacht Club and said that they had a picture of the gray ghost. And, you know, he was a huge contributor to the money that allowed them to open that. And I was like, I would, you know, I'd be honored if I could see it. Because yeah. It, yeah. We don't know what the heck he looks like. Right. And. Uh, Never heard of him again. Like, <laughs> never. That was it. The, the he called he was like, "Yeah, yeah, I'll come by." I was like, "Come on, I'll treat you to dinner. Bring the picture. We'll take a little picture with it." And then ghosted. I never. Yeah, it was you, the ghost. You got ghosted. It was by yep. the ghost for sure. Ghosted. So that's where it came from. What
0: were what were the other names in the running? Did you have other like what are the runner ups? The ones you didn't use? John, so, John's
3: Chop House. I'm just kidding. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. John by John Vermiglio. Uh, my my big. One was two, uh, either Mayor Pingree, who was very well regarded. Mm -hmm. Uh, We were slightly concerned about the political climate, and clearly we had some foreshadowing. (laughs) So glad we didn't do that. (laughs) Uh, And then I also was rallying for three cent fare, and that's how much it costs for the original uh, Detroit streetcar. And so at the time they were building the Q line, yeah, yeah, fantastic Q line. That's not bad. Shout out Q line. There you go. Uh, But yeah, so they were using that. So. You I gotta, got overruled. You got. Needless work. to say, I didn't come up with Gray Ghost. <laughs> Shout out to Chef Joe. So you didn't come up with She
0: Wolf. You
2: didn't come up with Gray Ghost. No, no, I came no, up with you She Wolf. Being <laughs> facetious,
3: making fun of James.
2: He came up with. No, of course, he was just he was just modest. He was modest about the brilliant name.
0: People that know the show would know how uh, Mabel Gray got its name, but for people who don't, you should tell that story.
2: Yeah, so uh, Mabel Gray is a song by a band. The band is called Brown Bird. I'm a, I'm a big fan of them. I actually made a little art piece, uh, kind of documentary on them. They're a two-person band, um, and sadly, uh, Dave Lamb passed away, and now we just, Morgan Eve Swain is the uh, surviving musician. And uh, through loving that song, I uh, looked up Mabel Gray, and Alice Mabel Gray is a woman who lived on the shorelines of Lake Michigan, and she was kind of a forager, nudist, um, kind of antisocial type. And the townspeople didn't totally understand her, so they would often uh, you know, call her a witch or folklore make up stories about her haunting the shoreline. And obviously after she passed in the early 1900s, that, that continued on. And uh, so there's a, there's a rumor of the ghost of Lake Michigan being Mabel Gray, but I think of her more as the powerful uh, forager, kind of anti-social nudist that she was.
1: Yeah.
0: All right, there you go. That's basically me. I
2: mean, who doesn't forage nude? Yeah. Good question. Well,
0: there it is. Of course. (laughs) I'm looking for
1: mushrooms.
0: (laughs) Anthony, why did you want to
1: cook? Ooh. What made you want to cook? Uh. Desperation. (laughs) (laughs) Needed money. Needed a job. That's how it started. Yeah.
0: Did you cook? But were you interested in it when you were a kid? I was. was Like when? What was food like around your house when you were a kid? Yeah,
1: a lot of food, but I never saw it as a career. But yeah, a lot. Of, I was surrounded by Italian food, and uh, you know, Italian American ingredients and gardens, and all that. Um, and I always had a special relationship with food, but I never saw it as a career. I always just loved it. I just liked eating it. i used to cook as far back as I can remember, just the boiling noodles and warming up, you know, sauce that my mom had harder made. I'd I would always be able to feed myself since I was ten years old. Uh, one time I put a pizza. Box in the oven. (laughs) (laughs) I put it on preheat. I had the oven on preheat just to keep the pizza warm. This is last week, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that was I was probably ten years. That was the first time my parents left me alone by myself. I don't know how old I was. Maybe seven, eight. I don't know.
3: Probably twelve. I did a similar thing with uh, Totino's pizza rolls. Yeah, Uh, but I actually put them in the toaster oven again, left alone to my own devices, and decided. No, no, no. I took them out of the bag, but then I used <laughs> the bag to remove the pan from the toaster oven. <laughs> melted, burned the heck out of my hand. It was a disaster. That's a bad one. Yeah, wow. That is a bad one. Yeah. Great start to my career.
0: <laughs> but what made you want to really make it a career?
3: Uh, honestly, yeah, uh, I I saw a cooking show on Food Network. Really? So, yeah. I'm old enough that Which one? I was that yeah. part of it. was called Cooking School Stories, and it was a nine-part documentary that was following students through their last class of culinary school and i watched it i was working at a pizza spot at the time and uh you know i had no intention just like chef anthony of doing anything with food Watched the program was totally enthralled and i was like that's what i'm gonna do and that's the school i went to and yeah that's wow. it yeah that's how it happened What? Well, yeah and my parent, i told my parents like oh right, yeah what did I'm- they
0: say about that
3: yeah they As newsrooms across the country close their doors,
0: independent and unbiased journalism is more crucial than ever. We rely on you just like you rely on us. This spring fundraiser, join us in protecting public media. Your support keeps us thriving. Invest in WDET's next chapter at WDET.org or tap donate in our mobile app.
3: Made me go to Michigan State my freshman <laughs> year because they were like, what are you talking about? Yeah. Like, you don't cook at all. And uh, So it, it was totally out of left field. Mm-hmm. I mean, we were all in love with watching Food Network and stuff. Obviously, right. this was the beginning of the rise of the craziness of food culture. And, uh, yeah, they were like, I think you should probably stay and stay because it's a private school. It costs a ton of money. And right. I was just like one day like, I'm going to be a chef. So, um, <laughs> yeah, which was a... a veering off the road of being an architect, which I was terrible at. So, <laughs> so, you, so
0: wait a second. Architect first, then yeah, yeah. chef.
3: I took an architectural class and I realized that was never going to come true when I built or I laid out the plans for my house and the teacher gave me a terrible grade and I was like, what what happened? The first story and the second story did not line up at all. Uh, and I was like, that I think that's over. I think that dream is over. It was good. Oh my god. And what about you? Yeah, you know, for me, I never really did
2: uh, much else. I mean, I, I kind of grew up, uh, you know, I wanted to get a job to make money for sure. So I was um, on my 14th birthday, started washing dishes. And uh, I loved it. So I, I worked, you know, in food because it was an easy job for a, a young teen. And then I, you know, honestly, by the time I was about 16, I got really good at line cooking. And I was making a pretty solid wage. And then same thing, 17, you know, kind of as every year that went by, I could make a little more and moved out. And then I went, to, I went to Schoolcraft. I was actually lucky to work around some chefs um, that were in Schoolcraft when I was line cooking. So I was kind of like on the fence of, I think I like this. I'm going to take it seriously. And I had the two best cooks in the kitchen were Schoolcraft you know, kids. So they were like, yo, you got you to gotta check out Schoolcraft. You, you know, you'll love it. So I did. And then I was enrolled pretty young. And um, yes, yeah, so I, I kind of, I, I, I was cooking no matter what for money, but then came across the right, you know, right people to kind of talk me into Schoolcraft. Because I really didn't, I mean, I was, I went to Howell High. I didn't really know about, you know, big restaurants or, you know, I wasn't um, super exposed to the city. And, and then uh, Schoolcraft, so it got on my radar. And then, then it was uh, game over. I mean, I graduated from Schoolcraft when I was 20. I was like a year young for high school. And then, um yeah, I just didn't stop.
0: So let me ask you this. What surprised you, Anthony, the most when you got to culinary school? That oh. you were like, I mean, you must have had some notion of what you thought it was going to be and then I what w- it really was.
1: I had no intent. I was like. Almost forced to go by one of my, I had a very good, we worked on a line together, his name is Chad Browse, phenomenal (laughs) chef. I'll give a little shout out to Chad. He's now the current director of research and development to Chipotle. He's the only person he answers to at Chipotle is the president CEO. Wow. He's he's worked at restaurants per se, um, El Bulli in Spain, his resume is deep. We started at Lewin, and Carl's in Brighton together making quesadillas. <laughs> I was I had no aspirations for college. I graduated high school with a 1.7 GPA and never 1. took 7. any ACTs or LSATs or whatever the, I don't even know the acronym or whatever. I never took any of them.
0: No ACT, no SAT for you. No. So when you got to cu- when you got to culinary school, was it like a little bit of culture shock it when was, you got there? It was
1: culture shock, you know, moving away from Michigan. I went to CIA in Hyde Park, New York, and they accepted me based on they didn't look at any high school transcripts or anything. They gave you your their own standardized test, and they required six months of work experience, and interviews, and a letter of recommendation from an alumni, which I had, and I was like a I was like in Willy Wonka's land of, you know, whatever that I've never even seen that movie. <laughs> but I was, it was surrounded by food. I loved food <laughs> and I was, everything was food relay. The library, the everything you want, every park, it was, it was an intense experience. And so I graduated from there with like a 3.9 GPA and perfect attendance. Wow. So I've, it, Once you find it, fancy. once you find it.
0: Then you're good to go. Then
1: you just it's full speed ahead.
0: When you're in culinary school, do you eat three meals a day? And does oh, everybody God, no. cook for each other? Yeah, like, how did. do you eat? Where yeah. do
1: you get
2: the food from? That's no, a, we had a cafeteria. A, yeah, but you like that's that that's that top dollar school he's talking about. So oh. yeah, they, you know they get like yeah. they, they get like handkerchiefs <laughs> they wear like you guys that you wore yeah a we had handkerchiefs yeah. you had to
1: you had to have a crisp white chef coat you had to shave you had a uh, code of conduct you had to adhere to if you got kicked out of school you still had to reimburse your tuition. It was pretty strict. It was, uh, you know, old-school French brigade system
0: Right.
2: culinary school. I went to, like, community college. So, like, there was a cafeteria, and, like, I don't even know, I don't even know where it was at. I just, like, I I ate, like, you know, granola bars and Tim Hortons.
3: So, yeah. We, we were we were in the same boat as you guys. Uh, yeah. Johnson & Wales actually um, is the culinary school that trains all the armed forces. Yeah. So, they were real onto that stuff. We had to have a perfectly ironed tee in the back of our chef coat and— yeah, that was like the biggest stress for me out there, trying to keep those uniforms looking crisp. And I used to wear it all day. I thought I was the coolest guy ever. I'd be like, get out of school at 1 o'clock, and at like 9 p.m., I'm still fully <laughs> in there, get the neckerchief on, full <laughs> slot. I could jump into action at any moment, but really I've just been playing video games for like six hours. So, yeah. I, I remember one time, uh, you know, Chef Dan came into
2: class, and I had my I had my shirt off. I was showing someone my first tattoo, and my shirt was off. And, like my, and his Chef's just like, it's just, I I think I put it back on so fast and you didn't have to say much, but I was like, you know, it was definitely not a handkerchief kind of. Oh, yeah, you would have got kicked out. Yeah. of class. Oh no, for sure. If I, your I chef should've. coat's
1: wrinkly, yeah, they boot you. You get a zero for the day, and then you're now you're behind.
2: Did you
3: get the chance to come wow. back? We we would get fifteen minutes. So if you could get out of there, go back, get either iron your jacket or get a new one, and get back oh, in fifteen get you. minutes. You were good. If not, this sounds drop very for the day.
0: stressful. It's good, it's just, but it's, I I really. It. I liked the discipline. I needed it
1: at the time in my life. Yeah. The yeah. discipline probably saved me.
0: So I wanted to ask you guys about traveling to Italy and what, what we think we know, what it's really like, how the food is different. I want to talk about that a little bit. So Anthony, you lived there for a while, right? I did live there, yep. Where did you live?
1: I lived in eight different regions and I traveled to all 21 regions over the course of about 30 months. And so, yeah, I lived and worked in eight different regions across that span. So I would move periodically to make sure I got a grasp of everything.
0: So you went you know? there to learn?
1: Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I went there on a on a scholarship to a cooking school set up by the Slow Food Foundation. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a scholarship that I won, and I was able to go there. It came attached with a, with a visa for a certain amount of time. Um, so I went to a school that was based on... Regional Italian cooking, so you, one stationary in the city of Yezi, in La Marque, and uh, chefs would come from every region, show you their dishes, and then after that, you set up internships, you network, you meet chefs, go work in restaurants, uh, often unpaid, so you have to be very you know, careful with your money. And it was a different, you know, different world. The first time I ever left the United States, period. Um, I thought that I spoke Italian when I got there. I was not <laughs> accurate in that.
0: How did that go over when you started talking or trying to speak Italian? Yeah, it was was way
1: too fast. Everybody's talking. I was like, everybody needs to slow down. (laughs) (laughs) And why don't I understand any of these words? Turns out I knew a lot more dialect than I did Italian, you know. But Mm -hmm. I caught on quick. Had to. Had no choice. I was in small towns. I wasn't like in big cities where the English was prevalent. Right. And uh, it was before Google Translate. So I had a dictionary. (laughs)
0: Did you like it there? Did you think you could live
1: there? After three years, I was ready to, I was, you know, calling it quits.
0: Are you ready to come home?
1: Yeah. I did love it, but I didn't think I could make my life there. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I had the whole thing. I had a girlfriend. I had a job lined up, you know. But I couldn't, it was hard to advance. In our world, how hard we work, you need to be able to see some, uh, Upward mobility. It was hard to see there. Interesting. And forget about opening a restaurant.
0: Not going to happen. Whew.
2: In Italy? Yeah, it's tough with, you know, property and a lot. There's, you know, it's kind of oh, yeah. like, a, it's, not, it's not like a, as easy to open a building and just buy something and get a partner and go for it like it is here. Yeah.
0: Really? Yeah. That's different. John, have you been there?
3: Yeah. Yep. Yeah, and yeah.
0: and what, what where were you and what did you think when you were there? Uh,
3: you- incredible. I was in Florence and Bologna. So I and did
0: you go to there to cook or you went...
3: I was there uh, competing on a reality cooking show. And? Pretty cool. No big deal. I'm on IMDb as an actor now. No. It was on Bravo. We filmed in 2011, and it aired in 2012 for one season, which is unfortunate. I think they realized that I couldn't be on the second season, so they just called it. They're like, well, without John, we don't have a show, so this is over. Uh, but yeah, so we, we traveled around the world. It's called Around the World in Plates. Uh, if you come to Grego's, you can ask any one of my employees cause I remind them on a daily basis that I am a celebrity. <laughs> 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 Nobody remembers the name. I remember we, we went to New York uh, for the end of it. I won't tell you the ending because for $2 an episode, $20 total, you can watch it yourself on Amazon. Uh, but we went to New York right before the final episode aired. And uh, there was a select few of us from the cast. And I was walking around with one of them, my buddy Chef Nookie. That was his name, Nookie. Uh, and somebody came up to us on the street and they were like, oh my God, you're that guy from TV. Totally talking to Nookie. I was standing right next to him. Nothing. He was like, he was on the show. And she goes, uh, oh, yeah. Like, <laughs> so that's when I realized I didn't make any headway in my quest to be a celebrity.
0: No celebrity chef for you. No
3: celebrity chef. But yeah, so we, we went there. I won a challenge making tortellinis, which was incredible, in Bologna with the traditional stuffing, mortadella and prosciutto. Killed it. Won five grand. Bought a car. <laughs> <laughs> that's... And we got to stay in a Tuscan villa. And, uh, we were in two teams, one team, you know, in each villa and we battled it out and we had to cook food that was indigenous to the area. And then the locals would actually sit down and eat it. Uh, and then they would be the ones who would vote who won and who lost. And then there was survival style exit. You don't mess with Italian food. You don't, there's no reinterpretation. There's no, like, I did this with this, (laughs) like you don't, I learned that. Really fast. They were like, what are you, what? Wild boar ragu with gnocchi? What are you doing? And I was like, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. But it honestly, like they gave us 24 hours to cook. They gave us the most incredible pantry of produce. Like still to this day is the most blown away I've been by walking into a kitchen. And it was a tiny little thing. And I spilled a whole 40-gallon stock pot of ribolita. Spilled it? Spilled? Spilled it. Yep. They gave us 24 pounds? hours for the challenge, and we felt like we needed to use it because we didn't want them to come back later and be like, oh, you didn't use the challenge properly. So I was like, all right, we got to do something. So I was the last shift. It was 3 in the morning. Literally nothing to do but put this soup away. It was on a shelf over the stove. <laughs> the shelf was not attached to the brackets. Oh right. My God. And there was two pots, one on either side, and it was the old classic teeter-totter. <laughs> and, this, and, and it launched everywhere and it's three in the morning there's no cameras no nothing it's just me and i'm like and this is rebolita, which by definition means reboil which by definition means you need to make it beforehand so that you can reboil it so that it gets to it so now i'm like challenges in like you know 10 hours and i just spilled this whole thing so i went and woke up my teammates this is very was, stressful to listen <laughs> yeah, to i thought i, I, I was to gonna get you. kicked out i thought i was like this is it i'm done so so i went and woke up my teammates and i told them what happened and then i cleaned the whole thing up we finished the challenge, whatever, didn't get kicked out, spoiler alert, and we were about to leave. We had just cleaned this whole villa. The chef was so happy. It was not the cleanest thing i would ever seen, but we left it sparkling, and then the production team came in and said, you need to recreate that, and I had to do it again.
1: Oh, my god! And you had to spill it on
3: camera? On camera. Yeah, they're like, we missed it. We need it. So I like, that was my first acting on there, and... <laughs> it was terrible. That's so if incredible. you see that, yeah. They made yeah. you spill it. That's, yes, this I is going to be the 20 again.
1: best dollars I ever spent on Amazon. Yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> for sure, $2 an episode. I've known you for a while lie.
2: now. I, I did not know that story <laughs> This not, is a great at story. At least by the Italian episode. Yeah. So that
3: was embarrassing. People still bring me containers of white beans because I had like three or four incidents over the episodes with oh my beans. God.
0: Our thanks to Chef Anthony Lombardo and Chef John Vermiglio for talking with us and to you for listening.
3: We would like to thank LaMarca
2: Prosecco for their support. From the hills of Veneto, Italy, you can never go wrong with Prosecco, whether it's in a spritz or drinking straight.
0: Joan Isabella is our executive producer. Associate producers are Lisa Brancato and David Lyons. Production provided by Studios on the Pond and Rowan Nemisto. Original music by the Mallet Brothers. This is a production of Detroit Public Radio Station,
2: WDET. Subscribe on your favorite podcast app and join us as we explore the world of food and how to cook it right here on Essential Cooking.